This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. Joined this time with, uh, oh, joined this time by uh, Bruce McLean, just Bruce McLean, uh, head coach of Iona College. And we've got a, a guest, and we'll be talking uh, quite a bit about our interview with that guest. Uh, Bruce, uh, you, you're, you're the iconoclast, it seems, in that you're actually, uh, your, your team is playing 15s and not 7s during the spring. So uh, how's that going? We're enjoying doing the 15s. We're treating it, I want to say, quasi-like spring football. In, that most teams would play. We just we go in and and we we're trying to do some strength and conditioning and and tighten up some of our skills and some of our patterns and some of the things we're doing. The difference would be that we do have a couple of games, but generally they're against quote unquote friends. It, it was nice to play some close games that are around, and we our games are at our field and and it and it's been a lot of fun and. I'm not a huge fan of the whole sevens thing, and I'm 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 not a huge fan of the traveling around to play sevens and splitting your team up and that kind of thing. And, and horses for courses, people do things for different reasons. I think that sevens is a completely different game than fifteens. I also think that in order to be, and I know people do it for the elite reasons. I think in order to be an elite sevens player, you either have to have tremendous height and very good speed or you need to have speed to burn and we don't have any of that so <laughs> and i'm just i'm not going to sit there and lie to myself or lie to the players and waste their time i'd rather we all stay together my goal is that they're friends 30 years from now and not that they uh that they win a sevens tournament with 10 or 12 guys while 30 guys are sitting at home doing nothing i just i like to keep everybody together it's what we did with the ac where we didn't play in 47 different divisions and we won a lot of national championships while people who tried to do everything didn't win anything mm-hmm. makes sense uh we i don't know speaking of developing i don't know if there's a segue to this but uh you know the the topic for this show is the usa under 20 men's team um and uh what I'm, you know, I know you and I have talked about this before, but um, you know, if, if you've been following it, the USA Under 20s uh, had a two-game series with Canada. Um, you know, where the the winner of the series is going to go to the Junior World Rugby Trophy. It's kind of a new thing in that um, usually the the USA team or you know any team is just invited, but in this case. Um, there was a series. In the first game, uh, the, the the USA team lost the game on the on the final kick, and so basically it was even. And then they went out for the second game and um, basically got crushed. Um, and that was that bothered a lot of people. I think um, it, the score was forty-one to six at the end of the second game. Um, uh, after the first game was 24-23, I believe. Um, that bothered a lot of people in terms of how everything was done. And, uh, Bruce, we're going to talk about it. 
But before we talk about it, I got a chance to talk with Christian Weising. And Christian is, was the captain of the USA Under-20s and uh, plays for the Glendale Raptors, go to school at the University of Colorado. Uh, we talked quite a bit about you know, the experience. So this is uh, Christian Wessing. So we're here with USA Under-20 captain Christian Wessing coming back from the two-game series with Canada where the USA lost the first game by a point and were blown out in the second game. Uh, not very pleasant uh, uh, thing to talk about, I guess. Uh, nobody likes to lose. But um, Christian... Uh, first of all, you know, how, how was the experience for everyone in terms of just sort of coming together and playing with those players and, and working with those coaches? Um, with the amount of players that we had coming back from last year, I thought we would have a much more put-together team or a much more solid-looking team. But for some reason, we didn't quite get that. And I think it might have been just... You know the lack of preparation. We had those. We had five trainings before our first game, mm-hmm. so that contributed to, I think, a lack of of team focus or mentality, and um, yeah, just overall lack of preparation kind of kind of got us down here. Now, I mean, the the first game very close, and I mean, if if somebody's going to be pessimistic, he's going to say you scored your two tries off Canadian mistakes, but mm-hmm. you know, um, you scored them. What um, what happened in the second game? Because it was and it was close into halftime, so so yeah. we're, we're talking yeah. basically 120 minutes. There's really nothing, no difference between the two teams, and then it just explodes. Um, I mean, it's a fact of fitness for most of the players on the U.S. team. Canada, having had that one-month camp, were definitely fitter than us. You could see it just the physique of the Canadian team compared to our own. It was noticeably it was visible that they were in better condition than we were. Mm-hmm. So obviously... If you look at both the first and the second game, the majority of their points came in the last 20 minutes of both games because right. the first game we were leading 23 to 11 or 12 up until yeah. the last 20 or so minutes, and they snatched the lead from us then. And um, the second game as well, we were still in it. I think it was 18 to 6 or 21 to 6 at halftime. I mean, it's a big score, but it's a, it's an achievable achievable score to get and um, yeah last 20 minutes it's just stepping off the pedal and uh, we let them get in what um, how did you feel about um, the preparation and and not the preparation in terms of whether the coaches did a good job with the time they had but more the time you had Mm -hmm. and knowing you know knowing the deal knowing when when your first first assembly was, knowing who the coach was, you know, just stuff like that. How did you feel about that? Um, it was a bit disappointing to see that this was the best USA rugby could put together for us. And granted, Billy Miller did get a job off and mm-hmm. I think it was Cardiff and he had to leave. And, uh, you know, that kind of set all the plans aside. They had to go look for a new head coach. And uh, obviously they appointed Michael 
And uh, I think he did a great job with what he was given. I mean, they took away... We were supposed to have a December camp before Christmas, which would have been around a week. Um, then we would have had a February camp and then another camp or a few more days just before Canada. And that would have given us a, a lot more preparation. But Billy leaving, that just left everything up in the air. And obviously they had to cancel the plans because, I mean, if you don't have a coach, you can't have a, a team to practice. Right. And, um, yeah, it's just Dude. an incredible lack of preparation, I think. And uh, we had a good team, but... Canada were always going to beat us with a month's training together and playing two practice games. That's a, that's an incredible advantage they had over us was definitely the preparation side. Okay. Did you as the players talk about that? Yeah. On the last night, we, we were kind of more honest with ourselves. We, we knew coming in, but we didn't want to make any excuses about that. I mean, you have a job to do. You can't just make excuses from day one so we tried to set that aside and just make the most of what we had there in the first five days and uh, clearly it wasn't enough judging by the second game mm-hmm. and uh, yeah um, so so as a player what would you want I mean if somebody calls you um, you know and I believe you're, you're aging out of the U20 level aren't you yeah yeah but definitely yeah yeah but um if if somebody if, if you you're let's say you're still 19 um somebody calls you um and says u20 team is playing in 2016 um what do you want to know when and when do you want to know it i mean how early do you want to be called to at least or, or contacted to at least try out um and and how much information do you need to know early um, as a tier two nation, I don't think that's much of an issue, but the fact is USA is a possible tier one rugby nation. And the fact that they've neglected all this preparation, I mean, I'm sure there's good reasoning for it. And it's just having known earlier would have been great, but just having the camps having more camps to work together as a team would have done an incredible amount of work, would have helped us immensely over the two matches. And uh, honestly, if USA wants to pick it up a notch, it's going to have to be a more professional setup in the U20s. I don't think that what's been happening now is especially conducive to a successful under-20 side. I mean, five days as a team together to qualify for a World Cup, I think anyone would agree that that's that's an incredible ask for any any team. And you're not again. You, I mean, you're not saying the like the coaching staff that you had was no, 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 definitely you. not. Our, our coaching staff was fantastic. Uh, I couldn't fault them on anything. Over the five five training sessions we had before uh, the first game, it was amazing to see the amount of work we got in as a team and the amount of playbook, the moves, the line-outs, scrumming. We got a whole basic playbook down in five training sessions of under two hours. And that's that's incredible. That's testament to the coaches only. And uh, 
you know, they did a great job, but better preparation would have been a totally different story. Okay. What a, you know, a, a lot of times in talking about this kind of thing, sometimes uh, uh, a coach or or someone overseeing the program might say, you know, well, it's it's a, it, you you should know it's an honor to um, to play for the United States, so somebody should jump at it. Um, yeah. But people have lives as well, right? Um, yeah. You know, do, I mean, you talking to the players on the team, things like that. Everybody, isn't it? Is it true that pretty much everybody gives up something to be in Canada for that week? Yeah, definitely. For most people, school, uh, other people leaving their clubs, having to only I mean, leave their clubs for two two game day weekends, slap bang in the middle of the season. Uh, kids that aren't in school have jobs; they had to skip a week of of that ten days of uh, work. And, um, you know, it's similar to the Eagles where they have to, they've got to skip work as well. And, um, you know, I'd like to see some compensation for that. But, I mean, there's not enough money in the U.S. yet for that. But ideally, that's what I'd like to see. Right. And and at the very least, would it be fair to say if you knew exactly what you were doing a little bit ahead of time, you could plan better? Yeah, exactly. Uh, flights for guys would have been much cheaper. USA Rugby might have even been able to cover that in a budget. Um, and, uh, yeah, just knowing ahead of time, just even a month earlier for everything would have been a great help to most people. Right. Okay. Um, what's, what's the mood in terms of um, players saying, well, you know, I... I still want to be, you know, I still want to be an Eagle. I still want to be a collegiate All-American. Is that? Um, it's not like this has shattered the dream yeah, of all yeah. these players. It's it's a great opportunity. Having gone to the World Cup, it's a great opportunity. But that being said, not going, it's it's not going to hold you back. If you're if you're a good, talented player. Things are going to work out for you. You're going to find find a way to get things done in the rugby world. I mean, even in the U.S., people know people overseas, and uh, you're always going to have that rugby connection. Like I said in the previous interview, and uh, I mean, it's disappointing, but the guys weren't too down about it. Uh-huh. And the game was it was a rough game, and we did get beat fair and square. And uh, yeah, I mean. We lost lost the qualification spot, but in the grander scheme of things, I think all the players that are that have the ambition are still going to make it as far as they would have. Anyway, good. Who are some of the players who uh, kind of blew you away? Uh, over the space of a year, Hunko. Mm-hmm. He's been he's had a phenomenal change. He's been a fantastic player. And you saw he got the man in the match in the first game. Yeah, and. Uh, he had a pretty good game in the second game as well, and I think uh, he's been overseas for a bit, and that's definitely changed him for the better. Um, Seema's been a bit preoccupied, I think, but he's by far one of the most talented players I've seen on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's definitely quite a bit of talent in that pool. It's just a matter of identifying it and, you know, the coaches being able to place them higher up in the, you know, the greater ladder of success in terms of 
reaching the goal of playing an eagle. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. How, how would you characterize the effort level for the players? Because it seemed to me that when, when the structure started to break down, guys were still playing hard. It just wasn't, didn't seem like they were all playing together. Yeah, it was, I think, greatly due to fitness. And yeah. uh, those last 20 minutes of both games showed that. Yeah. It's, you know, there's definitely guys on the team that are willing to go hard for 80 minutes, full out. And then there are people who are, uh, I wouldn't like to say this, but they're a bit more complacent. Mm. It's kind of like they've reached their goal of simply being there. And, uh, you know, that's good enough for them. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's a massive honor. And simply being chosen in the squad is, I mean, it's a big deal for most kids. But, you know, 80 minutes of hard work is what it's going to take. If you want to go take your game to the next level, you can't be uh, an average player for 60 minutes and then drop off. You've got to be working hard the entire 80. That's good. I think that's fair. You know, fair uh, that that players. Uh, is it fair to say that some players don't know what's required until they're in the game? There's there's a different skill gap. I mean, in terms of talent, there's definitely a huge gap between players in the team. Right. Uh, they try coaches have tried to bring the skill levels up to par with everyone, but you're still going to have those players that you can see right off the bat are better rugby players than others. And that's simply down to experience, I believe. You look at all the great players in our side and they've been playing rugby from a really young age. And granted, some of these guys have only just picked it up now in college. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to have a feel for the game already after two, three years of playing it. And, uh, I mean, even after 10 years of playing it myself, it's I'm still developing a mindset for the game. It's... It's a tough game to play, and it all comes down to experience, I believe. Yeah, good. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're originally from South Africa. Uh, yeah, I've got a quite a, I don't know, it's a strange upbringing. <laughs> I was actually born in, uh, born in Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, then I moved to Indonesia. Nice. Learned to speak uh, Bahasa. Mm-hmm. Great. Then uh, we moved to the Ivory Coast, and I began speaking French there. And from the Ivory Coast, we went to South Africa, and I finally started learning English. So English is actually my last language. Oh, that's funny. To, to have learned. Um, I was originally at a French school in South Africa. Uh, then I went to... And our teacher was actually involved with the club setup in France for a while and he started the first rugby club at our school and then uh, the third grade I decided to pick it up as a uh, uh, extracurricular activity and uh, you know I really enjoyed it and the fifth grade I moved to a South African school and of course it's compulsory for all kids to play all yeah. the sports and uh, you know I picked up rugby I was an alright player didn't have much talent. Um, usually overlooked in most settings for rugby. And, uh, you know, I stayed in high school in South Africa. My parents moved to Zambia, then Tanzania. 
and uh, I finished high school in South Africa. I was at a boarding school, Hilton right. College, um, and it's a fantastic rugby school. And uh, you know, I played D team in grade nine, so fourth side in our yeah. age group. And uh, rugby's a really big deal back home. You've got 18, 20 teams in the whole school. So I was at, right at the bottom pretty much. And, uh, you know, a coach picked me up one day and he saw something in me and believed in me and he pushed me through to uh, the higher levels. And the next year I was playing 16 A's. And, um, nice. you know, I worked my way up to the first team on the school side, uh, vice captain there. And, uh, you know, it's been uphill from there. I mean, my rugby, my rugby's taken off having come here. Uh, started playing for the Glendale Raptors. You know, I had a rough season with uh, a broken hand. I only got to play four games and uh, had no practice going into uh, the Junior World Trophy last year. So coaches went out on the limb for me and uh, actually chose me onto the team. And, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, it's really allowed me to grow as a rugby player. And uh, hand in hand, it's given me the opportunity to so studying in the USA, being at a fantastic college. I'm at the University of Colorado. You you understand the value of of working to get where you have to be because you know what it's like, uh, you know, being on the, like you said, the D team. Mm-hmm. And 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 if you're on the D team, you know you're you're looking, uh, you know, if you're thinking second row, you're you're looking at six to eight guys you have to be better than to get on the A team. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it takes a lot uh, to get there. Uh, why why are you why are you in the United States? You... Um, yeah, my mom's originally from Arkansas, so okay. she's. American through and through, so that's how I got my passport as well. Okay. And um, she she was dead set on it, on sending me overseas. I mean, yeah. Like, why not go study overseas at a fantastic university? But you know, I wanted that for myself as well, and my parents afforded me that opportunity, and I'm really thankful for that. That's great. Well, you you actually uh, get to experience a real winter now in Colorado. Oh yeah. Definitely. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's terrific. Uh, it's a great story. Um, traveling around the world, um, Christian. Thank you very much. I much appreciate it. Uh, and uh, you know, best of luck going forward. All right. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks a lot. All right. Appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Well, that that was Christian Wessing of the. Uh, USA under twenties and Bruce, uh, he, he he was good. He he came out and said a bunch of things. Yeah, I know you guys have talked about Mike Friday being honest and all these other things. The yeah. fact of the matter is, this kid was honest. Yeah, he was straight honest. He wasn't given any answers that were complete nonsense. And the fact of the matter is, regardless of whether we like it that way or not whether culturally it fits us, the under-20s is an IRB-funded event where we are comparing apples to apples. Everything else we do, we're not. High school All-Americans, the, the, uh, the college All-Americans, it's not comparing apples to apples internationally. 
And right. the the under twenties in, in England and, and in South Africa and all these other places, and you could say they're funded or whatever, just I look at it and say that that's something you gotta think about because we're comparing apples to apples. Do you name the other things now that the high school all Americans are self funded as far as I know? College all Americans, I don't know what they do with it. I I take a look at the money and say, you know, say USA Rugby's had six or seven or however many millions of dollars every year. I think it's up to 12 or 14. But say it's an average of six over the last nine years turning over there. That's $54 million, and I don't know where it's gone. And I know we paid, say, 65,000 people went to the to the game where we played the All Blacks. And the All Blacks got a million dollars, and so that's about thirteen or say fifteen dollars ahead at the max, which is you know it, it, it's it's less than that. So, and then say there was other money and costs. Say there's another fifth. That's thirty bucks ahead. Where's the other money? You know where where's the rest of the money, and and how come these kids had to pay for their own flights? How come there was no plan in place to? Okay. Together. Yeah. So, so the all right. Let's. Let, I just wanted to talk about the no plan. So the the plan was. I mean, this goes back right. The lack of plan, Bruce. You know, of course, goes back several years. So 2012, USA hosts the Junior World Rugby Trophy, wins it. Scott Lawrence does a great job coaching the team. He he took them through an entire process of assemblies and games and warm-up games, and and they won the thing. Um, Lawrence, and this was the year after they they came one point away from finishing last. So he he had refigured the entire approach. He puts together a, a proposal that says, this is how I want to run the team. He actually didn't, I don't, I, I, I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he actually wanted to coach it like full time because he couldn't because he has a job. No, um, we, we had done a show on this. Yeah, right. It wasn't and, a lot of money. It was $250,000. Yeah. And, so and he, the same thing with Ray Lehner prior to that. And, and so that, that, was, that was not accepted. They, they didn't do it. We waited a very long time. Jason Kelly was brought in to coach the team late at the Junior World Championships where they were always going to have a problem anyway. Uh, minimal. There's no recruiting done. Kelly tries to organize it. He doesn't have an organizational staff in place. They finish last by a wide margin. They go back to the Junior World Rugby Trophy. Again, we don't have a coach. We don't have a coach. The coach shows, and it's Billy Millard, and he comes in in January, December, late December. But at least he gets an assembly together. He has a camp, and then he takes them up to, to Seattle, and they spend time in Seattle. They play the Seattle Saracens. And they work their way through, and they do pretty well in the tournament. Planning, I mean, it, 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 there's a direct correlation between good planning and success on the field, right? There's a direct correlation between starting early and doing things with your team early and success on the field. And this time, Millard was supposed to be the coach again, except that it wasn't really organized. Keith. Uh, and, and Michael Engelbrecht um, 
put together his own camp. He put together a camp around Thanksgiving. They were supposed to have one in December. They didn't have it. Millard takes a job in Wales where we're waiting. We don't have anything put together. It is, uh, you know, Engelbrecht is still an interim coach. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no warm up game. There's no warm up assembly. Uh, and you know, I, I ran the numbers a little bit. If they had gone, for, if they'd been able to go to Seattle for a week, right before this entire thing, and just train for a week in Seattle, that probably would have cost about thirty to forty thousand uh, dollars. And that includes that includes paying people to fly into Seattle. That's not a lot of money. I, I mean, I, I would think, don't you? In terms of the priorities, you could find thirty thousand dollars for your under twenty team. And given what we've done, I, I think we should be able to. I, I don't know where the money's going. I don't know what we're doing with anything. Um, I don't know where our priorities are. And it, whenever you see people being secretive about stuff, you know that there's problems. There should be transparency about everything and then you you look at the pathways and i think that, that there's not a, as much of a disconnect between the the uh high school americans in the 20s but there's difficulty in keeping track of all the high school americans and and people who have been involved in the high school american process and the 20s because there's no continuity in who's in charge of the 20s there's no now Magleby's in charge of high performance but I mean we've had a director of rugby for since 2006 and we just haven't gotten any director of rugby work out of them and and I think it's now coming home to roost and and with the Eagles and there's a disconnect between who's on the twenties and how they've been tracked over the past period of time. And, you know, Telly from Telly from Metropolis played very well against New York AC on, on Saturday. I was at the game and they, they picked him to come into the squad and but he was a high school American and he was an under 20. Like he shouldn't be somebody that was just discovered. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and the same motto. You know, these the and, and, and that's just them. And you know, thank God they're coached by Nate Osborne and but we need to have people who've been in these processes become part of our program. And then there's the other part of the colleges and guys going into colleges and playing and and not being released to be part of the 20s. Now, we can use the Regulation 9, which they're not going to use for political reasons. And that's just... Look, I don't exactly know the correct answer of everything because you got you got to work around the politics of it all. I mean, the correct answer is playing the fall, but, and which I have, have uh, embraced. That is the correct answer because the weather is good throughout the country and people can say what they want to say. I'm right. They're wrong. And that's it. <laughs> um, so, but that's, but, that's the but way. The, okay. So 
the you know coming coming back i guess the 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 thing that really gets to me here is that we've got to stand up and say what the priority i mean everything is a priority and we know that this year is a uh a world cup qualif- a, a world cup year and a olympic qualification year and next year will be a women's world cup year and then we're running into the sevens world cup year there's always a like a big major thing going on every year to say oh you know that's going to take um that's going to be taken you know, more seriously or something like that. But it seems to me, as you say, Bruce, we, we lose track of players. And Alex Bagleby now, part of his job is to keep track of these players. But we lose track of players between high school All-Americans uh, and the, the Eagles unless they go to certain uh, collegiate programs. u twenty should be a priority, as you said. U20 should be a priority because it's apples versus apples. U20 should be a priority for player tracking. U20 should be a priority because uh, we need that. We need to bridge that gap, and it's not been. And maybe I don't even know if it's about money. All I know is that the coach of the U20s should be should be named in June, so that that guy can go around and start talking to players through the summer and through the fall and say, we're going to assemble in November here. We're going to assemble in December here. We're going to go in January. And then uh, March, we're going to play these games. And in April, we're going to play these games. You just map it all out and then say, I mean, this is what Wessing said. Great. Now, you know, even, even if they pay for their airfare, at least they can do it. Hold on. Even if they pay for their airfare, at least they can do it early so they can plan. But we don't do, we, I mean, we, we don't do any of that. And if we, if we injected $100,000 into it, that would be great. That would make it much easier. But let's do the simple, the simplest thing, it seems to me, is to let's name the staff in June for that cycle. And in fact, let's keep them on for like two or three years, which we haven't done in ages. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that you need to have a continuity in your staff. You need to have a continuity in what you're looking at. And you, and you need to really kind of settle on a team pretty quickly. So you kind of got to know who you're dealing with. And then we, you got it all goes down to pathways. What are the pathways to the Eagles? There's a million of them. And none of them are completely, none of them are completely settled in as to how how it works. I look. I'm a big fan of cohesion. That's like my whole way of coaching. My whole life has been developing cohesion. Find players that you know can do it. Trust them. Work with them. Push them to the point where they are working at their best. They may hate your guts in the process, but they'll love you afterward. And then you'll then you'll get the most out of them and then you'll have your best chance of winning. I think that rugby's a cohesion game, it's a team game. There are people who believe that rugby is a talent and skill game and, and you can move chess pieces around. I I just don't believe that and I I don't think it works. I think you can do that if you're 
out athleting people. So if you have the best athletes and you're playing, but our national teams, while you can do that maybe in a, in a club or collegiate setting until you get to the top level, until you get to the semifinals, finals, it becomes very difficult doing that when you're not better than the guys you're playing. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you're not better than the team you're playing, you need cohesion more than you need um, so much out-athleting people because selfish players will get you beat every single time. So I think that when you when you look at things, there's a lot of skills that we we don't have people who can kick, but we can work on kicking skills and give them to so there there can be maybe fifty kids who are a hundred people with really positive kicking ability, and we could talk to coaches around the country. Maybe they may not be the greatest coaches in the world, but if they're working with the elite coaching staff and coaching those kickers, even if they're videotaping them and doing the drills, they can talk to the top coaches. They can talk to uh, Chris O'Brien and please say prayers for their family. Um, And you could talk to Mike Tolkien and you could talk to different people about those different skills or scrummaging. You can talk to Justin Fitzpatrick and they could do some of the Swiss ball drills. They can do some of the one-on-one drills, some of the scrum machine drills and the and the prop and, and second row drills and things of that nature that they can do. And you could videotape them and you can talk through it and you can say, Oh yeah, this guy's been working with me one or two times a week for maybe three times a week for a half an hour, 45 minutes a time. They're doing weightlifting exercises under a strength and conditioning coach or possibly the, the, the coach there. And then you just keep on going and you do that through all the, different things. And as I said, you may not be working with the most talented coach in the world or somebody, you may be working with a 25 year old guy who just wants to be into it and, and, and who'll be working with 16 and 17 year old kids. But the, the, the fact is you need people who care. And one person, Alex Magleby can't keep track of all that stuff. And number one, he doesn't, number one, he can't keep track of it. Number two, he doesn't have expertise in all those areas. Nobody has expertise in every area, and people who say they do are full of crap. So the the thing is, is that you got to show everyone love, and then at that point, then you can start to have the the wheat get separated from the chaff. You can see the, the dedicated guys. You can see people progress. You can see what's going on. You can have go-to-meeting meetings on online or different types of software where these different coaches are being educated we're sitting there doing cookie cutter um you know level one and level two coaching clinics which are nonsense we, we need to educate people into actually how to do things and put things into practice and learn real stuff instead of box ticking nonsense so mm-hmm. we we have I like a, that box ticking nonsense i think that's great we have, we have a we have a pathway issue we have we have a coaching issue. We and we also and in giving somebody like say Alex Goff is is gonna coach uh, a kid to play scrum half and you may be given, you know, four or five YouTube videos of things that you can do with people and you're asking people to well, you may even have a video camera just sitting up while you catch balls and they're checking, then you send those in and you're checking technique. Well you're gonna learn 
you're learning how to videotape, you're learning how to do analysis, and then you're talking to an elite coach who's going to be helping you. It could be David Williams, could be Mike Tolkien, could be Tony Smith, could be, you know, could be a whole host of people who are being who are being used to possibly help you to coach halfbacks. Well, a halfback makes 50 to 60% of the passes in a game. It's, it's a very important position, and we've had one over the past, since the 2007 World Cup. True. And we need more. And there needs to be a lot of guys who are halfbacks, and we should be able to develop them. And look, it's, it's, it's not a perfect process. And unless we start to recruit people into the development process, it's not, it can't be done effectively with one or two people. And there's, there's just not enough time for them to dedicate to be able to help these guys because they don't care how much you know until you know how much they ca- until they know how much you care. So you need to have someone right in front of them who actually cares about them. It's, it's not so much what they know. It's that they're, they're willing to make the phone call to get them to go out to do the work and videotape the work and then work with the other coach to talk about it and then have the player and everybody talk to these other coaches. And then you're going to start to get some things where you can develop. That's how you develop front rowers. That's how you develop halfbacks. That's how you develop kickers. That's how you develop tacklers. And when you do all those things and they have skills that they can rely on, when they know how to catch high balls, when they know how to catch kickoffs, they know how to throw in the line out. They know how to lift in the line out. They know how to put people down to start a driving mall. And then you start to look at these little tiny details that sometimes are overlooked, setting up in a scrum prior to going in, just little tiny things that emphasis ball placement, clear out, little tiny things that every little other coaches can be given the tools to feed those throughout the country, then we'll have a, a player pool that's really talented and really into it. Then we can have high school all-star tournaments that mean something. Then we can have all-star tournaments that mean something, and we can start to identify people. And and, and we, identification, we, we spoke about this the other day, and, and we spoke about, I spoke about it with Holder and spoke about it with a bunch of people. The fact of the matter is your grandmother can go to a game and if there's a really great player who has the possibility of being an Eagle and he's playing in a high school game, she's going to know who he is. It, it wasn't, it wasn't really hard to pick out Haloti Nada. Right. It wasn't, you know, you, if you went to the, if you went to a game when he was at Highland and you saw the Highland Xavier game, you could have picked him out and said, wow, that guy's the best guy on the team. Wasn't hard to do. Monkey could have done it. So uh, talent identification is easy. It's talent optimization, which is difficult. Talent optimization means dealing with the technical, the tactical, the psychological, the personal. Those types of things get players to believe that they're where they're supposed to be. And that's what's being deprived from the under-20s. 
those players who are going apples to apples and competing in international competition are deprived of the opportunity to be at their best. And it's not the fault of the coaches. It's not the fault of high performance. It's the fault of the system. And we need to change the system. And we need to change the pathways. You know, how can an entire high school Americans team pretty much be made up of California kids? Does that mean there's nobody in Minnesota good enough to go? No. I'm just – Yeah, yeah, but, but it what, does I, – I understand the logistics, and I'm yeah. not saying that the selections based on who they had are wrong. I'm saying that the system is wrong because it's impossible to say that they have all the best guys. It's It's not. It's not possible that that's the case. Okay, so – and and I, I agree with all of that, and I think that that is something that people have to think very carefully about is the idea of, you know, making it happen this way. But, Bruce, when you, when you start the season with your team, you know, the first thing you're doing is you're saying, hi, I'm Bruce McLean, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm the head coach. And the second thing you probably say is... I actually never talk about myself as the head coach. Okay. We'll talk about ourselves as coaching teams. Okay, I, I okay, really okay. But you, all right, you, you, you introduce your, your coaching team. You say, this is my name. These are the people who are working with us. This is who we are. We're going to practice whenever you practice, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays at 2.45 or whatever it is. And um, here's your expectations on additional work on your own, whether it's running or lifting or the other things that you're doing. And you map it out immediately. And then you say, our first game of the season is on September 18. And we're going to be playing, and here's our schedule. This is all, like, insanely basic stuff, logistical stuff. So a kid can show up and say, yeah, I'm really interested. What's the, what's the commitment? And a kid's really interested in playing – a 19-year-old kid's really interested in playing in the U20 team. And I've heard a number of people say, well, you know, he should be honored to be on the national team. He said, of course he's honored. But that doesn't mean you can tell him, I'm probably going to pick you for the national team, wait for notice, and then four months later come back to him and say, you're on the team now. And he said, well, I didn't hear from you for four months. What? I've got a bunch of other stuff i got to do. I, you know, I, you didn't tell me that I was going to miss all this time in the spring, so I've committed to a job, or I've got class, and I could have down, uh, you know, underloaded for that semester if you had told me, but you didn't tell me anything, and so it's basic logistics along with talent development and player development, basic logistics that you have to go and recruit these players and say, I want you on my team. Um, when the, when the, when the USA won the, the junior world rugby trophy in 2012, uh, they had players from major programs, college programs, high school programs, clubs on that team. And, when they're not organized, they don't have those players. But if you can map it out and you you say this is where everything's going to happen and you go 
to Jack Clark, you go to David Smith, you go to Tony Pacheco, you go to Tui Osborne and Dan Payne at Life, Tim O'Brien, all those people, and say, this is what the commitment is. Can you spare that freshman who I'm not sure you're going to be using a lot? Maybe they'll say yes, right? But they're not going to say yes if you don't tell them anything. And if they try to find out who the coach is, they don't even know. Well, I agree with you. It's difficult. And part of the problem is that those teams that you just mentioned play at the time that the uh, that the Junior World Cup or Junior World Trophy is happening. And, and true, true. in fairness to them, they spend in their programs a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to play in the spring to lose. And if you develop talent and they're developing talent, right? They're developing players at the same time. Yes. I mean, yeah, they, every, everybody's definitely developing players, but the, but the thing is you you have to take some of their better players. If a person who's playing USA under twenties, should be good enough to be a first-team player anywhere, period. It should be. That should be your – those should be your best players. So it's it's a spring tournament. I, you know, I'm a big fan of fall rugby, but just because of, of weather. But that's just me, and I don't – and I'm not begrudging anyone for doing what they do. I mean, I, I certainly – we play in the spring as well. We just do it similar to, you know, we do it flip-flop from the West Coast teams. I, whether the under-20s is the top team that we want to focus on, I mean, it is the only apples-to-apples thing we have. And the high school All-Americans are self-funded, so it's not a big deal. College All-Americans, again, I don't know how they're funded. And then I don't know where the rest of our money's going. You, you just, Like I said, you just look at it and say, well, where's it going? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, Robin Reed, at, uh, who helps, who funds the high school All Americans, wanted to help with the U twenties too. Well, um, there's there's uh, there was pr- problems about who who picks, you know, who who picks the the coaches, who has a say in how things are done, and the problem is that. And, and, you know, I'm supportive of a lot of things that USA Rugby does. And I think that there are certain things that they've done successfully. Um, but the are U20s you, is... Are you U- playing the name three? Not right. more. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, you know, you know, honestly, the, 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 the Chicago... Disagree, so who cares? Don't, right, don't this, do anything. Whatever, don't say anything. But, but, I was yeah, but, I know, I know. Can, can you name three off the top of your head? Well, all right. Um, but the U-20s is not one of them. U-20s is not organized. You know, again, it's, this is minimal stuff. Uh, and it's not a surprise. It's every single freaking year that we have to do this. The only time it's not been a problem, we, the only time we haven't said what's going on with the U-20s in the last six years is 2012. Because we had a repeat of a coach, and that coach said he mapped out the plan and said, "This is what I'm going to do." After that, it's a massive question each time, and it's it's like it's like the person who doesn't shop for Christmas in the, until late on the 24th and said, "You know, it's coming every year." 
And the U-20s are playing in something, usually the Junior World Rugby Trophy, every single year. We should have a cycle. We don't have anything. It, it's it's sad, and you got to feel bad. I, I am so proud of this kid for speaking his mind, and I'm so proud of this kid for telling it like it is. He pulled no punches. He was totally honest. He spoke about the better preparation. He spoke about the better physiques. He spoke about the money spent. He spoke about everything. He lauded the coaches for their commitment. He lauded the coaches for their preparation based on the preparation, the, you know, the, 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 um, the circumstances that they were given. And, and and he called himself out. He called his own people out, right? They, you know, they, they he said we we as athletes weren't as well prepared as those athletes. So it was a little self criticism as well. Well, he 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 made no he made no bones about that, and that's why I kind of like this kid, and I think that he he may be he's a very important kid. He's a very important guy. And probably would be better on the show than me, but the the fact of the matter is, we we have zero plan. We have zero, and and, and they they're gonna say, oh, we have a plan. We have a plan. We've had a plan about college rugby, twenties rugby, high school rugby. We've had all kinds of plans. And the reality is, there's a lot of things in rugby that have gotten a lot better. We have had we have better facilities. We have scholarship offers. We have varsity programs in high schools. We have youth programs that are thriving. We have um, development programs for kids. We have all kinds of stuff going on. We have, I mean, the facilities that we practice at at the New York Athletic Club are better than anything that we played on when we played, and our players wouldn't practice on the fields that we played on, Tolkien and I. There's no way. However, those things have zero to do with USA Rugby. All of those improvements, all of those improvements in colleges, all of those improvements in youth, all of those improvements in high school, all of those improvements in, in everything that they've done in terms of scholarships and things and, and weight rooms and access have zero to do with USA Rugby and everything to do with individuals who have made a commitment to making it better for the people they're coaching because they love the game and they want it to grow and they want to leave it in a better place than where they found it. But we pay a lot of money, as I said, 50-something million dollars plus whatever we're making on other things and our eagles are unpaid or... You know, our, our coaches are, our assistant coaches are underpaid. Our, our staff at the national office is marginally paid, and many of them have jobs that really are unnecessary. Better to pay people who are necessary jobs more money. And, and then we just, we've underfunded the, the development. We don't have a plan in place. We have nothing there. But we're really good at going to dinner with people. And we're really good at, at schmoozing and doing nothing. So I just think that until we find someone who's going to say that 
we're going to have a re- and, and we're talking about prof- professional rugby and professional rugby is not going to happen and and if it does people are going to lose money a lot of it they're going to get out of it and then players are going to quit and we're going to be in a in a worse situation than where we were so that that's not the real answer the real answer is at the base and fortunately for us the base is being run by volunteers who are hyper dedicated like the people the the fury family in in jersey and, yeah. and morris and and mark griffin and christian mayo and 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 guzzo from play rugby usa and there's there's so many people who do things in northern california southern california um and and grow the game there, Denver and, and Texas and every, basically everywhere. These unsung heroes that then everything goes by the wayside. I think that we need to cultivate commitment. We need to cultivate the amateurs. We need to cultivate these development coaches. These are the people who make it go. And then we need to trust them because those are the people that our players trust. Those are the so we can trust them to develop a fly half instead of waiting six, eight, ten months. Give them programs, give them free information. Information is free. It used to be you had to go to a a coaching school because you couldn't get the information, you had to go to a clinic because you couldn't get the information, you have to fly somewhere or drive somewhere. The reality is, if you go online, there's there's full-on Iran's academies online. There's full-on clinics from Wayne Smith, Dave Rennie, um, uh, what do you call it, Tanu Maga, um, uh, Pat Lamb. They're all online. You can see them on YouTube for nothing. The information isn't a problem. So they, you don't have to go somewhere to get – there's no magical information. Everybody thinks that they got something to hide. I mean, you can't hide anything in rugby more than a week. We we have video analysis on this, and and coaches talk, and and that's great that coaches talk. It's the greatest game in the world because of that. And and we need to we need to share that information, and we need to to capitalize on on that culture and make it so that there's more people drawn into the process and that'll make us better. They shouldn't have to wait to go to get coached by one specific guy. That one specific guy can teach 50 or 60 or 100 or 1,000 other people who can help to bring that information somewhere. Is it going to be disseminated perfectly? No. But it's going to be disseminated. And then people can start to grow and become better. And that's where we're missing the boat. Is that we think that it has to be done by, you know, the four or five quote-unquote best coaches who haven't won shit. So the fact of the matter is, let's disseminate the information. Let's go out and do it and have everyone do it and trust the people around us. These people care. The number one thing in coaching is caring. And then when you care, then 
things can get better. But first and foremost, you got to care. And that's and and that's just my personal opinion. I, I could be. I'm not wrong. People can disagree with me. I'm not wrong. I know. I know I'm not wrong. So that's that's the way I feel about it. And hopefully we get there someday. I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. But if we do it, that's that's what it's going to take. It's going to take somebody who basically says, hey, I believe in all of you. You should believe in yourself. You are special. The things that you've accomplished with the, the roadblocks that you have in place are actually miraculous compared to what happens in other countries. Be proud of yourself. Let's build on that. You guys are awesome. And let's and here's some information that can help you. And we really want to help you to develop these guys. And when you have guys, let's look at it. These are minimum standards we're looking at having. Can you bring your players up to those standards? Conditioning wise and skill wise. And then just and then you just gotta stay on top of it. And if you do that, then you have a winning formula. Well, we uh, we still have good people in the game. Let's use our good people in the game. And uh, Bruce, it was good. And and you know, God bless Christian Wessing for uh, saying something other than you know, let's take it one game at a time. Um, and he's a smart guy. He's been all over the world. Um, and you know. There are a lot of really, really interesting people in this game. I enjoy talking to them. Uh, Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions, and uh, there's uh, run by Robin Reed, who's somebody who's working very hard to uh, make things happen in this game and loves the game of rugby. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you probably love the game of rugby too. Um, and uh, for Bruce McLean, this is Alex Goff saying thank you for listening to Rugged Matrix America.